Father, be our teacher. We don't need another sermon. We don't need to be told what we can't do and what we haven't done. We need a vision of who we are and who we are yet to become. As you work in us, as you stubbornly refuse to walk away from us, be our teacher, be our lover, be our change. In Jesus' name, amen. I was raised in church, like probably many of you. I'm an escapee from a small town called Glasgow, Kentucky. It's in Barron County. That's really bad when the pioneers fight oceans and animals and tigers and lions and bears. Oh my. And then they arrive at your place and say, the best thing we can say about it, it's barren. It doesn't bode well for a young kid who was born into an average family and learn very quickly that we live in a world that loves, yea, needs to label things. That's why I think oftentimes we call things Christians, Christian books, Christian music. We need to label it to make it safe for consumption. But oftentimes many of us live with labels that we never get over. We allow those labels to libel us and limit our lives. I really found this to be true in an event in my life. It was called Senior Day. I hope none of you are raised in churches that, that made you go up front and tell your name and where you were going to college, but, but mine did. We had to wear the black robe, the mortarboard hat. My head is so big that no mortarboard hat would stay level on my head without tape. My, brother, my mother, and fa- mother and father uh, uh, bribed me to go. It's this big, beautiful, it's a, like a downtown Baptist church. You can imagine the, the carpet was red for the blood. Pews. Then that an app name? Pew, because it pews most of the time. And then there's the pulpit. Like bull pit would be more like it. Can hear hear an amen? Is anybody here in a good mood? The first service was pretty happy. I don't know what they were on, but <laughs> if you're medicated today, we're very glad you're here. <laughs> so senior day. This is no true. This is no story. About 25 people. We go up in this big. I mean, it's a big, beautiful place. You're scared when you're a kid. You don't know what churches like. Scary. So you go up front and, you know, number one fear in America is to speak in front of people. So we go up front and introduce 25 young teenagers to their greatest fear, expect it to go well. So these kids go up. Most of them are going to Western Kentucky. You know, I'm Barbara. I'm going to Western Kentucky. Yay for Barbara. I'm Bruce. I'm going to UK. Yay. This is no hair on this story. If I'm lying, I'm dying. The three people before me were this. John's going to Yale. Now I'm in a town of 12,000 people. What's the likelihood anybody's going to Yale? I mean university. I don't mean working at a factory running Yale equipment. Yale. Next person is going to Vanderbilt. Well, praise Jesus. That just proves that you don't need $50,000 a year. No hair on this story. The next guy, is God is my witness, is going to Harvard. Well, happy day. Here I come. Bubba in a box. 
Hi, my name is David. I'm going to work. I thought it was cute too. I get more laughs here today than I did then. It was like, get off the stage. What was really hitting me as a teenage kid, 17, you know, uh, full of myself, wanting to do something important with my life, but being told that I was average. And my church's response to my funny was, at, yeah, you're going to go to work, get out of the way, do something. You, you know, you're average, you're babes, you're mediocre. And that's, that's, that's what I had to look forward to. And I thought it was just me, and that's really hell. When you think you're the only one as screwed up as bad as you are, the good news is we've seen a lot of people as weird as you. So I remember so vividly getting out as soon as I could, going up, sitting down in my, my uh, shackled up GTO, as that great theologian Ronnie Dunn would say, and I'm lighting up a Marlboro. I'm in from Kentucky where smoking is indeed still a spiritual gift. Thinking somebody, you know, I'm thinking maybe somebody, you know, I thought maybe my parents would be upset. No, 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 you know, you're better than that. You're going to, I mean, nothing going, nothing wrong with going to work. I don't mean that, but, you know, just, I just thought maybe my coaches would say the next day, hey, I heard what you did in church and that was cute, but, but you're going to college. You got potential. I got potential to become incarcerated. That was my number one superlative in high school. And I really never, ever, I hope you can hear my heart on this. I never met anyone who believed in me until I really actually in a, in a moment met Jesus Christ. And then everything that was in me made sense. I thought, why can't I just be happy? Why can't I just be happy with just doing what everybody else is doing? Why can't I just be happy with normal and average and okay? You know, why can't I just, why can't I, I mean, can you imagine wooing a woman with mediocre? Hey, baby, you're a mediocre looking woman. I too am a mediocre looking man. Let's go on a mediocre date. I'll buy you some mediocre food. You'll fall mediocre in love with one another. I'll buy you a mediocre ring. We'll get married in a mediocre ceremony out of which we will launch into our mediocre life. You get a mediocre job, I'll get a mediocre job. We'll buy a mediocre house, have mediocre kids. <laughs> Live long enough to retire in a mediocre city where we'll go to a mediocre mall spending the rest of our lives trying to find the newest mediocre soft-serve yogurt. Die, be born, be buried in a mediocre grave. Our life, will insur- life insurance will be denied because they'll say we never lived. How could we die? And I thought that was just my messed up way of looking at life. And I'm telling you, I have seen literally tens of thousands of people. When I wrote this book, Except No Mediocre Life, it resonated wherever I went. Everyone understood what it's like to pain and the sorrow and the brokenness of having been labeled by their parents, stupid, we didn't want you. Why can't you be more like your brother? Can you, believe, can you imagine being James, the half-brother of Jesus, growing up? Can you imagine when Mary would say, James, why can't you be more like your brother? That'd suck, wouldn't it? 
Can you imagine James looking back at his mother and saying, Mother, now that you bring it up, why can't you be more like Jesus? Kind of a hard hill to get up, right? I didn't understand the Bible. None of it made sense. All I heard was screaming and preaching. And what we would do, because we had to go to church, right? Is we would go to Sunday school and then we would go and get up on top of the educational building on the roof and smoke to pass the worship time away. And my mother would suspect that I'm smoking and that I'm not going to worship. And so she would ask me, well, what did the preacher say today? He preached on hell and pride. You were there, right? Because that's all we ever heard. You got too much pride, y'all going to hell. Unless you tithe. Tithing will get you out of anything. You know, hear an amen. <laughs> we ain't dumb. I couldn't connect to it. I couldn't understand the Bible. The only, the only person in the Bible I resonated with was a guy by the name of David. I got that. I mean, the Goliath dude. You remember that? Anybody here? The first service, absolutely nobody has ever heard of David and Goliath. Maybe I can be groundbreaking in this service. Anybody here ever heard of David and Goliath's story? Really? So you're all, these are Christians. The pagans come early. That's good to know. I mean, I remember that story, you know, little David, little, just a little shepherd, David. He just watches the sheep. He's a shepherd in the cube. No, he's a redneck. That's what he was. <laughs> he was a nerd redneck. And when you are a nerd and you put those two things together, your life pretty much is over. <laughs> right? Now, now, I read this story in the Old Testament that Israel wanted a king, but God didn't want them to have a king, but they wanted to have a king. You know, they want to be like everybody else, right? So they get a king. He, he, did, he is a failure at every point. God's going to give him a new king. So God sends out this preacher, his name is Samuel, to go find the new anointed king. And so he goes to the house of Jesse, which happens to be David's dad. Are you with me? David has five brothers. They're all gone to Yale, Harvard, and Vanderbilt, right? They are, they are all splendid. They're Brooks Brothers beautiful. So they go in and Jesse says, this is great. God is going to make one of my sons the new king. About time. So he parades his sons one by one. Nope, 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 nope. And after it's over with, Samuel looks to Jesse and says, you know, is this it? This is important. I'm not making this stuff up. I make a bunch of stuff up and I'll let you figure out which part is made up. But this part's true. Jesse looks at Samuel and says, is it? I mean, you got the cream of the crop. I have no other sons. And then one of his sons probably reluctantly bends over and says, well, dad, that's not theoretically that's not actually, that's not technically true. We're, we're, David, oh, yeah. Well, actually, I have another son. If you'd like to have, you know, some fun, some comic relief, we'll go get him. He smells like sheep manure. Have you ever smelled sheep manure? Me either, but I can't imagine it's good. How about you? So David comes in, he is a redneck. That was, by the way, the equivalent of what a shepherd was in that day. 
outcast, not good with people, you know, not college material. David comes in and Samuel says, there's the guy. So in an afternoon, David goes from this, this, this no future, no go, mediocre, nerd, redneck, can't get along with people, boy. The Bible says that he was ruddy in appearance, which means he had pimples. This is before proactive, for he's, so he's out of the running, right? And so Samuel said, this is the dude, because and then it's just the beautiful, you know, God looks on the inside, man looks on the outside. That's not much comfort when you think you're a loser. When you've been told and labeled over and over again. So David now gets it in his head that he's going to be king. You know his five brothers are just thrilled with this, right? David's going to be king. What about us? God, no, you don't get it. David gets it. So David is going to be king. Now, what happens after he gets anointed king? He goes back to work. Nothing happens. He doesn't get a robe. He doesn't even get a promise ring. It's just go back. When the time is right, God will tap you. You'll be king. Fast forward a little bit. Israel now faces their nemesis, the Philistines. The Philistines has, have now entered the Iron Age, the first ones to have this new technology, which means their, their fighting instruments were superior to any every other nation. And so what do they do? They come after the nation they hate most, Israel. And so they have this plan. The plan was, instead of all of us just killing each other, We'll send out our guy. You send out your guy. Those guys will fight, and whoever wins, we'll, that'll, be, that'll be it. And then, you know, who, that way we won't decimate everybody. Okay, here's what we'll do. So the Philistines send out baby Huey on steroids. Goliath. This guy was seven foot one in the sixth grade. Can you imagine how many snickers and laughs he has had pointed toward him? So he is now big, rough, tough, and hacked off. He's going to come out, and now he, he wants somebody to come out and fight him. All the people in Israel, all the mighty warriors of God, were hiding. <laughs> they don't want to die. Not only do they die, but if they die, they send everybody, all their families and everyone else into slavery. Do you want that to be on your Facebook page? Dead dude, reason we're in slavery. And so David, now here's, here they are, they got a dilemma. David is now, his dad calls him and says, your sons are in, at the war, and I want you to go deliver them food. Little David who wears a dress. I mean, taking food to men, that's women's job. Can they hear an amen? It's in the Bible. So, so. Not so much, huh? Okay, sorry. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but he does. He says, this is his job. He's going to take some food over to his brothers. So he goes over. Now David's thinking, don't you know that if, God, if you were a shepherd, you were a nobody, labeled as mediocre, lay, labeled as average, no future, and all of a sudden, a man of God told you, God told me to tell you, you're going to be king. Don't worry about it. Go back about your business. Wouldn't you be trying to figure out how to help God? 
I mean, I do this every day. I mean, God's busy. I'm trying to help him out every day, right? That's why I'm frustrated most of my life. God's saying, don't need your help. I'm doing just fine. Yeah, but Lord, you, you know, seriously, you're busy. Over in Clarksville with all those really bad sinners. I mean, all the sinners live over here, right? That's what Chris told me. And David, I'm sure, is in his mind trying to help God. How do, and you're thinking about it, seriously. How I mean this is real, this is real. This isn't preacher material. This really happened, right? In history. You're thinking, how do I help God when I am, you know, I'm I'm a shepherd. I'm in the back of nowhere. There are no roads, there are no phones, there's no Twitter. How do I help God get me from there to where he wants me to be? So David's taking the food, and David's listening. When David comes up to the fight, to the camp, Saul, who's the king, David, he's going to take Saul's place. Nobody knows, it's kind of hush-hush right at this point. And so Saul has sweetened the pot. He said, here's the deal. Anyone who fights Goliath, here's what you get. One, no taxes for you and your family forever. I'd sign up for that. How about you? No taxes. No income tax. No property tax. Not you, not your kids, not your in-laws, not anybody. Anyone related to you, tax-free from here on out. Here's the second thing. Whoever kills Goliath gets to marry my daughter. Now put your thinking cap on. What do we call the daughter of a king? A princess. How does a redneck from nowhere go from zero to hero? Marry a... <laughs> See, the Baptist told me in Bible school. You ever been to Baptist Bible school? Your parents you know, parents trying to get you out of the house and took you over there? The Baptist said... David loved God, and here were these men who were coming against God, and he wanted God to be honored, and so he wanted to kill Goliath for God. Well, maybe so. The truth is, he says, marry a princess, hubba hubba. I mean, have you ever seen an ugly princess? I don't think so. It's in the job description. You've got to be drop-dead gorgeous. So he gets to marry a pretty girl, and in his mind... Mary the princess eventually become the problem solved. His brother sees David listening to this. This is out of the living Bible, and so I hope that it's not language that offends any of you proper people. But David's brother says to him, I know what a cocky brat you are. Label. Right? Everywhere. What are you doing here, David? You're a nothing. You're a nobody. And I love what the Bible says. David turned from him to another. Listen, no one can survive a barrage of criticism and cynicism for long. But most of us do it because we're married to it. Come on, I'll take you all on, huh? 
or we're related to it. You know, we know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about. In America, we're awesome at cutting each other down. We don't realize how damaging that really is. David goes on and he presses through his brother's labeling. He goes now to sign up with Saul to go fight Goliath. And when he, he go, can you imagine being David? Can you imagine how excited he was? It all makes sense now. It makes perfect sense. It all fits together. This is divine, man. This is God, man. This is cool. You know, he's wanting to run quickly because he can imagine that the line to get to fight Goliath has to be really long. And he rounds the corner to Saul's tent, and guess what? Ain't nobody in line. And you know what I've found? Ain't nobody in line to be great. It is crowded at the bottom, but at the top, there's plenty of room. Can I hear an amen? Oh, yeah. So David goes in. He says, here I am. You want a guy? I'm a guy. I got a plan. Let me tell you what I've done. You know, I've been... And now, now all of this keeping the sheep stuff makes sense. Because he's killed the lion. He's killed the bear. He's stealthy. He's smart. Saul hears his argument and says, How can a kid like you fight a man like that? You're just a boy. We're always just a something, aren't we? You're just a kid. You're just a woman. You're just a private. You're just a nobody, right? There's always just a something. Have you ever noticed that everyone is waiting to be amazing and nobody's actually in the game? You know why? Because there are myths that we believe. Things that we hear and we adopt them as though they're true. I put them in your outline. I call them the misery myths. And even people who say they believe in Jesus Christ and are Christ followers can be sucked into this. There's the, the myth of mediocre. I come from a mediocre family. My parents didn't have education. We don't have a lot going for us. You know, I'm just kind of average. We come from the other side of the street. You know, our, fam- our family's messed up. Anybody here a member of a messed up family? Anybody here a member of a weird family? Anybody here a member of a weird family getting weirder as all the weird cousins and in-laws get married? You're going, oh my Lord, I didn't think it'd get any worse. And here it is. Bubba shows up. Clarice is marrying Bubba. This will not end well, right? And so we get, we, we get used to this dysfunction in our lives. For many of us who have followed Christ for a very long time, our lives aren't very different, let's be honest. We go to church. I mean, for as much as we've gone to church, we, I mean, we'll get our money back. Because our life hasn't changed much. You know why? Because we believe. For example... I, I know a buddy of mine who gets up every Sunday and he says, Good morning, saints! I like that. That's what the Bible calls Christians, right? Anyone? You? Yes? The Bible calls Christians saints, right? Shake your head. There you go! I know you. Yeah, I have, a, I have a convert right here. Will you sign the card at the end of the service? And then he ends up by saying, hello, sinners. Eh, really? Build them up, knock them down. Build them up, knock them down. Ever been there? 
And it's just misery. You say, really, am I not more than just a sinner? Yes. So much more than that. I'm not defined by my stupidity. I'm defined by who God says. Listen, I'm not who you think I am. I'm not who I think I am. I am who God says I am. I have what God says I have, and I can do what God says I can do. God don't make no junk. I don't care who, what anyone has told you. There's also the myth of the best. That lives on the other end of the spectrum. You got to be the best. You got to be the best. You got to have the highest grades. You got to run faster and jump higher and go further. No. No. Anybody here know who won the Super Bowl five years ago? And if you do, you need to get a life, brother. I mean, the team that's the best this year is the worst next year, right? There's no such thing. It's a moving target. And so, because we can't be the best, we just don't try. Because they can't be the fastest and the richest and the cutest and the smartest, we just don't try. Then there's the myth of enough. You're never going to be enough, have enough, do enough. It's just constantly working, 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 trying to work my way into God's favor. That's a great thing. Here's, I guess, I hate to put a, I hate to, you know, give you some of our secret sauce as pastors. Here's a great thing about religion. Is, in religion, I can tell you, if you will do X, Y, Z, God will give you A, B, C. Are you with me? Okay. If you do X, Y, Z, and God doesn't ever give you A, B, C, I can trust that you're going to be so guilty and shame-bound, you'll come back to church. So I can tell you, my secret sauce, you, if you were doing X, Y, Z this way, then God would give you A, B, C. Oh, thank you, Pastor Dave. Thank you, Pastor Chris. And then you go do it our XYZ way and God doesn't give you ABC and you come back and hey, Bubba, I did XYZ. There is no ABC. God ain't doing nothing over here. And you know what we say? Well, brother and sister, there must be sin in your life. What are you thinking about? Are you going to R-rated movies? And you look at that after a while and say, if God requires this much perfection, I'm out. And the the great thing about Jesus' kind of spirituality is it isn't go be perfect and then I'll enter your life and bless you. You know, the uh, David, this dude who fought Goliath, who became king, was also one messed up dude. If you don't know the whole story, don't read it because you'll be depressed. But the one thing David always had going for himself is that when he failed God and everyone else that was depending on him, he knew where to go. He knew to confess it, own up to it, and and change. So as we try to, as I try to, I guess, either through this morning or maybe if you're interested in this idea through the book, convince you. That excellence is the remedy to mediocrity. A commitment to excellence. Now a lot of people think excellence is perfection. It's not. 
excellence as being really super smart and having a business idea that's better than everybody. No, it's not. Every one of us, each one of us can embrace excellence as an act of worship to God. You want to honor God with your life? Go out every single day and do these four things. First, excel, be the absolute best in anyone else you know at being you. You can do that. David said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know them full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days that you have ordained me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Which means I am rough, tough, and hard to bluff. Until God is done with me, leave me alone, Bubba. My day will not end one more one day sooner or one day later. I say, let's do God's will, have fun, go to heaven. A long time into the future. How about that? Every single day, God just says, David, just be you. Take your gifts, your talents, your skills, the uniqueness that is you, and go out there and don't be afraid. Don't worry what people say. Don't worry what people won't say or don't do. Just go out there as an act of worship. Be the best David you can possibly be. That's all God will ever ask of you. You will never be asked to fight Goliath with Saul's armor. Remember that part of the story? You probably don't because you've never read it, right? Saul finally capitulated and says, okay, if you're going to go fight Goliath, wear my armor. And it was like a big, this big thing over this little bitty kid. And David says, nah. I got a slingshot and I got rocks. And everyone says, no, you got rocks in your head. And David went out and did right good, didn't he? By the way, Goliath died for those of you who were in suspense. Not only, when, when David came out to meet Goliath, you know what Goliath did? This is a war tactic, by the way. He labeled David. You know what he called him? A dog. A dog, a man. You're a dog, kid. You know what David said? You're right, I'm sorry. I ain't been prayed up. I ain't going to church. I ain't tired enough. I'm going to come back in a couple of weeks. You know what David said? Hey, Bubba, I'm cutting your head off in just a minute. How are you going to cut my head off, little dude? With your own sword, you big person. And history proves... He did exactly that by being who he was. I will excel at being who I am. Secondly, where I am. Who I am, where I am. How, do you, how many of you know that you're always at a bad place? Man, the economy sucks, right? I mean, more four or five years when things turn around, man, I'm going to be amazing. I was amazing one afternoon. I wish I'd have taken snapshots. To remember what it looked like. It must have been awesome. I hear people all the time postponing their life. Listen, this is the world you have. This is the life you have. This is the day the Lord has made. We will be miserable and crawl around on the dirt. Right? I love what Ecclesiastes says. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. 
I think a lot of us, can, I just, can we talk? I know we just, we've just met, but I'm, I love you already because I know Chris, and Chris loves you to death. Let's be honest. Most of us, our biggest problem, can I say it? We're just lazy. Come on. Just a little bit. It's a lot more fun to whine and moan than to do something, we think. Because we can't do everything, we end up doing nothing. But here's what I've learned. Life punishes the lazy, but lavishly rewards those who take initiative. I can excel. I mean, this is the day the Lord... God isn't dead, right? I mean, he did, I mean, if, he, I mean if when God dies, He's going to send me a notice. I'm a member of the family. Right? I like to come to the funeral. But as far as I know, God is still God. He has us here. I am here for a reason. The day God is done with you, you will wake up dead. And by the way, if you die during the service, we appreciate if you fall over. So we can identify. Because some people, it's like, we don't know. Right? Dear God, I will excel at being who I am. I will excel at where I am. Thirdly, I will excel with what I have. See, there's the other excuse. Well, if I had a million dollars, I'd be amazing. No, you wouldn't. You'd be dumb a thousand, a thousand times. Right? Here are people who win all this money. Man, I got won the lottery. I got $32 million and in 32 days. They're in $32,000 worth of debt. You got everything you need. Trust me, you do. And when you need more, you'll have more. When you're really striving to live a life of excellence, God shows up. Here's what I have found. You have just about what you need to live the life that you're pursuing. If it's a little average life, you'll have a little average supply. Like Chris, I mean, you have a great pastor. I know, you, I know that I'm telling you what you already know, but he's the real deal. He and his wife both just have become really close to me and Paula. We love, church, we love starting churches like one church because everybody needs, somebody who needs a church who doesn't want to go to church and get beat up every week. We moved, we start, uh, moved to Nashville in 1989 to start a church. We had arrived in Nashville right to start a church. That's like carrying coals to Newcastle, isn't it? So we're here to start a church for people who don't want to go to church. People were absolutely bored to tears and ignored everything we said. We were so bad we couldn't draw flies. But we believed. We had a mission. We had nothing. We had a boombox one day and somebody did karaoke church. A guy left and said, I like what you're trying to do, but you guys suck bad. Well, thank you for the encouragement. We appreciate it. Y'all come back. And we started the church. We didn't have anything. And we thought, man, we, can't, we, we can barely pay the school. We, can, we don't have a staff. We don't have this. We can't print. We can do this. And then all of a sudden, a few more people came. And a little more supply. And a few more people came. A little more supply. We bought 280 acres of, of Davidson County property. And I went out one night. And I looked at a guy who had come to Christ when he's 70, he's 72 years old. He came to our church because he'd just gotten arrested for cocaine. All right, you're 72 years old and you're taking cocaine. I want to meet you. 
Because you definitely fearless or stupid or both. He came to Christ, got radically changed. We would set up 730 chairs. We have four services every week, 730 chairs. He would be up there. He is 73 years old setting up chairs. When we started to, to build our church, I needed a million dollars. I went to him and said, would you give me a million dollars? He said, yes. I said, no, I mean, can't, would you give me like money? I'm not talking about a million prayers or a million well wishes, a million dollars. He said, yeah, you need it tonight? Well, the Kentuckian in me said, yes, I need it tonight. But the guy who wanted to stay out of jail in me said, no, you can give it over time. And I asked him, I said, have you ever given anybody a million dollars? He said, I've never given anybody anything. He said, I've been selfish and self-centered all of my life. Why else would I be arrested at 72 years old and bring shame to my family? He said, I've met a God who in spite of all that I've kicked in his face would love me this much. Why wouldn't I give him whatever he asks? What I found, when you need a million dollars, you'll get a million dollars. Until you do, you won't. How's that? And you excel with what you have. The five, ten, fifteen dollars, the little bit of time, the little bit of opportunity that you have. Dear God, I will excel at being who I am, where I am, with what I have. And here's the fourth one, in the time allotted. You don't have all the time in the world. You see, if we had, if we had all the money in the world, and all the time in the world, and all the resources in the world, you know what we'd be? Paralyzed. That's what we'd be. We wouldn't know what to do next. But when you just have you, what you have, where you are, and what time you've been given, you know what happens? Innovation happens. And God begins to show up. And you begin to say, you know what, this is the day the Lord has made. I'm not going to act like, I'm not going to push it into the future. I'm not going to say, well, one day I'll be amazing, and one day I'll wake up, and one day I'll take God seriously, and one day I'll, base, I'll, I'll burst out of this and break out of this rut. You know what a rut is? It is a grave with both ends knocked out. So God has sent me here today, and I take this very seriously. I mean, I, I, I love... I'm a pastor of my second church I started four and a half years ago called The Gathering Nashville. And I love it. You know what it is? It's a church for messed up people. And we got, oh, we, we're grow, we, we're growing like crazy. Because when we say, hey, here's a church for messed up people, everybody says, I qualify. I love it. I, I, I'm never not there. I don't like not being there. But I came here today because Chris asked me to, because I love your pastor and I believe in him and his family. But I also came here because I think God wanted me to say to some of you, it's time. It's time to stop using the excuses. It's it's time to stop blaming your parents or where you're from or what you've done. God invites you into his big, expanding life and says, I can use any, if I can use a redneck on the back of nowhere to kill a giant and to save a nation, I can use you. Amen? Anyone, anywhere, anytime who's willing to say, God, here I am, all of me, all of me, what I have, where I am, what time I got, what can you do?
and he can do pretty amazing things. I've seen it happen over and over again. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you will arrest us. Father, I've, I've tried my best to be as helpful as I can be, to say the things that I know that have set me free. I've seen it happen literally in tens of thousands of lives. And I pray that these precious, good, godly, created in the image of God, redeemed by the blood of Jesus, saints of God, would this morning somehow find the courage to throw off all the past, all of the labels, all of the lies, all of the libels, all of the hurts, all of the shame. I pray that they would drop off and they would stand up free, excited, and fulfilled in the love of Jesus Christ. And say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.